Let's see what the stew has in store for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by awesome Patreon backers like the dependable Doug Roz, the keen Kathleen Halpern, and the majestic Michael Beck Esperum. Today, we've got myself, Ange, along with JT and Senda, and we are going to talk about bringing new players into the game and bringing new characters into the game. Both have their own logistics to consider. Before we dive into that main topic, though, we're going to ask our Get to Know a Gnome question. What's a time you were playing a character that wasn't working, and how did that get resolved? JT, I'm going to start with you. All right, so this is back in uh, D&D 3.0 days. I made me a human wizard cleric, and my entire goal was to become a magic item artificer. And I figured with all the wizard spells and all the cleric spells, I can make anything in the book, almost. Uh, there's a few druid items. Was this uh, before the actual Artificer class was out? Yes, Artificer... Was that even a thing in 3rd edition? I don't think it was. Yeah. It must have been a splat book then. It was in Eberron. Oh, there you go. I, I had never got into Eberron. It was a class specifically from Eberron. There you go. That I'm ignorant of it uh, because I never got into <laughs> Eberron, but yeah. So my goal was to be a magic item creator and... That takes time. Like you got to have downtime and to, to to craft the item, the physical item, and and to imbue it with magic and yada yada yada. Well, unfortunately, a giant undead horde invaded the nation that we were in, and there was really not a whole lot of time to stop and catch our breath for the entirety of the campaign. Uh, I literally made one magic item, and it was Liamin's tiny hut into a fifty charge gem, and I called it. Oh, I forget my character's name, Bob's Magical Tent or something like that, <laughs> right? And I ended up selling it to a guy for double what I put into it. So, I, hey, I made a magic item, but when I realized the adventure was going to be too fast-paced for me to really do what I intended to do with the character, I shifted gears a little bit. I kept the wizard uh, cleric motif and just became a healer evoker. So I would blast the hell out of the enemies. Any survivors would come in and smash on the fighters, and then after the fight, I'd heal them up, and we'd rinse repeat. And it worked pretty well, overall. What about you, Senda? I have two, but I think I'm going to tell you about the time I got chomped by a werewolf. Uh, <laughs> so it was an interesting game. I for it, This is also in my 3.0 days. It might have been 3.5, actually, at this point. I had a character. She was a, a human fighter. and. Uh, I had played a lot of rogues and I really liked playing rogues and I don't remember why for this particular game I had moved away from that. And the issue that I was encountering is that I wasn't actually really enjoying playing fighter as a class. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with, just to be clear, there's nothing wrong with fighter as a class. It wasn't doing it for me because I like being the jack of all trades skill monkey character and mm -hmm. that's rogue. Yep, yep. So like, why did I suddenly decide to be the tank character? I don't remember. I, there was a reason. We needed one. Nobody else wanted to play it. You know, it was one of those things. So I wasn't really feeling very attached to the character and the mechanics weren't really doing anything for me. We ended up in a fight with some werewolves. <laughs> And I got chomped by said werewolves, and I definitely, I don't remember exactly how it works, definitely failed the role that was involved to not turn into a werewolf. <laughs> so we had a little side adventure where we had to go find a different were creature that was not aligned evil to chomp me instead to like override the werewolf chomp. <laughs> um, so I went and had a blood transfusion with a were tiger. 
and from that point on had a much cooler character because um I where we went with it because suddenly having the powers of a were tiger would have put me like leagues ahead of everyone else's level right like not really fair yeah sure sure I sat down with the GM and we kind of figured out like basically levels of control of the weird tigerness. So like at first I was just randomly turning into a tiger a lot <laughs> and it was great. The fix was that I turned into a were tiger and there was suddenly something um, exciting and different and weird about that character that made them stand out a little bit more to me instead of just like, Ooh, the hack and slash is like, I didn't, there was something about that character that I was just not connecting with. And then there was something about it that I was more excited about. So, and that's, Actually, been my experience with every character I've had that didn't really work. If I didn't connect to them, if I could add something else to it to make it spicy, then it went better for me. So yes, turned into a were tiger. That's very cool. <laughs> so what about you, Ange? What 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 uh, circumstances have brought you to a character change? There actually didn't end up being much of a character change because the campaign was very short. A friend was running a monster of the week campaign. And it was intended to be short. It was intended to kind of get his feet wet and running Monster of the Week specifically. And I made a spooky who was a a teenager from a, you know, backwoods militia cult in Montana. She was supposed to be this hick who had very weird powers and was just kind of along for the ride. And she was supposed to be young. She was 18. Well, I missed a session. In the session I missed, they added a new player to the game, who was a player I totally wanted to be there. He had just missed our first session. But the problem was, is because the GM was new, he let that new player make a character that pretty much hit all of the same beats my character was hitting. He made a, um, I can't remember the, I can't remember the playbook name, but it's the magic user. It's the, the Harry Dresden playbook. Okay. But he made her as an eight-year-old girl mm. who was really creepy and full of magic. And so all of a sudden I show up and I'm supposed to be the young ingenue of the group. And now there's an actual child running around with us. Yeah. And I was just very frustrated by this because it didn't make any sense to me that this child would be along on these missions. I was hurt because you know anything that made my character special now was more special with that character and i ended up talking with the gm and it was it was a mistake of you want to let your players make something that they're excited about and he didn't really think about the fact that letting this new character come in with all the things that were special about my character was going to impact my fun in the way it did it's it's a newbie mistake that a GM can make. We ended up playing for a couple more sessions and finishing out the storyline of the campaign and then kind of put it to bed. And it's like, I'm, you know, not upset with any of these people. It was, you know, some bad choices made in a game that impacted the fun of the folks involved. You know, so it's just you live, you learn. These are all communication things that we definitely learn by Sometimes by making that mistake, sometimes by living through that mistake. That was very similar to the other instance that I almost brought up for that get to know a gnome question. <laughs> yeah, it's very much the GM wants the players to have fun and be excited about their characters, but you kind of need to learn where the boundaries are. Yeah. So let's move into our main topic. 
if you've been playing RPGs for a few years, you've probably experienced a new player joining an existing game or group or a change of characters in an existing campaign. So we thought it would be a good topic to chat about. So what kind of situations call for adding a new player to an existing game? JT, what are your thoughts here? The, the funny one for me is actually kind of unusual. Our host moved to a larger house. So we went from like four or five of us packed in this tiny little dining room around the, the dining room table. And like if somebody had to get up to, you know, go to the bathroom or whatever, we all had to stand up and like do this Tetris <laughs> kind of stuff to, to, to allow them out of the dining room so that they could, you know, or go get a drink or whatever. But he moved to a bigger place, same table, but he got to put in all three leaves in the dining room table. (laughs) He actually went out and bought a third one. He only had two. He bought a third one. So now we have this big, ginormous table, and there's six of us around the table with the occasional seventh guest from out of town. And we have elbow room, and it's comfy, and we got to add a new player permanently because we had the room. It was just a physical space limitation. And once we got that bigger area we were like yes we can add one more person and we already kind of had them picked out but we hadn't told them yet because we didn't want to get them all excited and then like you know the host house by deal doesn't go through or whatever so but once once he closed on the house we reached out to the 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 new guy so to speak and brought him on into the group that's awesome what what about you Senda? what are some reasons to add a new player to an existing game yeah in my group it was specifically because people moved away we went from, what, six people to four people very quickly. Oh. <laughs> um, and, and we tried to, to maintain um, with some playing online because they're folks that I really like playing with. But it is really challenging to split partially online and partially in person. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, especially for folks online. So it, it, well, it wasn't super successful um, doing it that way. So then we were like, wow, there's, you know, enough for one facilitator and three players and like maybe we need some more people. <laughs> so that was us. That was the um, I need to I need to kind of create, um, you know, take the, the remains of a group that had been decimated and add new people in to bring it back up to a quorum where if somebody can't come for a night, like we can still play. Right. You need to have enough people that one person being out because of school stuff or being sick or whatever doesn't destroy game night. That was pretty much it. I kind of had the opposite issue. I had people move back to Rochester. How dare? Uh, yeah, how it, dare? Was like, <laughs> it was like these people that I adore suddenly moved back to Rochester and we could game with them again. So we had to have a conversation about bringing people kind of back into the fold or, you know, in one case, it was um, a friend who had graduated college and gotten a job here in New York. So she had never been part of our regular group. But once she was here with a job, it was like there was no reason not to start gaming with her regularly. It took some logistics shuffling with the group itself. We kind of morphed into two groups that have most of the same people in them, but a couple of extras to make sure that we're not you know, we're not playing with like eight people in a game or anything like that. But it ended up working out really well to basically be like, no, no, we all like these people. We want to play with them. So let's figure out how to make this work. Speaking of figuring out how to make it work, how do you handle adding that new player to the game? Senda? The key thing for me is conversation with the other players at your table. Mm-hmm. 
and so that that both includes like saying to the other people you know i have this person and maybe they know them maybe they don't but you need to like have the conversation shall we add someone to our table right right because it's it's something we're all committed to this is a shared experience um and then as part of that and this is actually i've i've failed on this one a couple of times which is why i called this specific thing out from there also having the conversation just like outright and like very transparently about what the expectations of the table are so that's where we get into like social contract stuff mm-hmm. yep and and i have failed this right and when i failed it it meant that um we had not a great parting between the person that i had tried to add to the group and the rest of the group right because we were not clear about our social contract and we've been playing together for so long that we like we're working with a number of assumptions that a new person coming in didn't share. So I learned a lesson the hard way, which is that social contract discussion is really, really important. And it's got to be about like, what kind of games do we play? What kind of investment are we expecting, right? Like, is this a beer and pretzels game or is this a high emotional game? Like, are you on board for the kind of games that we expect to play as a group? How do you manage safety at your table? And you know, are you cognizant of the fact that there is potentially peer pressure on a new person joining your game to sort of get in line with the comfort level of everybody else at the table instead of taking their comfort level into account separately as the new person at the table, right? Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that is uh, worth talking about or at least thinking about. <laughs> For me, the issue was we ended up having a safety problem because we had a lot of assumed safety stuff, which is... The thing about safety, right? Like, is you're not supposed yeah. to make those assumptions. Yeah. When you have been playing with a group for like five years, you get to some places where you're very comfortable with those folks and you have a really good understanding of everyone's boundaries implicitly. We still played with safety at the table. We still played with lines and veils. We still had a consent revoking tool, usually the X card on the table. The problem was that in a peer pressure environment, we ended up with a situation where there's five of us and one new person and they don't feel comfortable saying that they're not comfortable yeah. right. to a group of people who are all having fun, right? So there's, there's some conversation that I would have with the existing group and with your potential new person to make sure that the kind of game that you're playing is the kind of game that the new person wants to play, that they're in for yeah. that, especially if it's uh, vulnerable and emotional, right? Or really dramatic or like you're going to go all in. Um, that's the kind of thing that then it becomes really important to make sure that everybody's up on the safety kind of, you really have to start over with a lot of the social contract discussion stuff really explicitly to make sure it's been set at your table to make sure you're not creating the experience that I unfortunately created for someone. Do not do as I did learn from my mistakes. <laughs> and I would do this in stages of, you know, before you extend the invite, talk about with your existing group before the invites extended approach the potential new player extend the invite and one-on-one -on -one have a conversation about safety and yes. social contract because you don't want them to be at the table and then yes. ambush them with that information and they and then they're like well i don't I like so. this I, I maybe i guess because they kind of feel obligated to stay and not make a scene where yeah. if they don't want to be there in the first place, if they just don't show up because of the conversation, then they don't show up and, it, and it's great. It's okay, right? Yes. Um, yeah. So I think it's really important to know 
spend some time to understand what your implicit social contract is, the parts of it that yeah. you may not have vocalized if you've been playing with folks for a long time, so that you can have that conversation with a new person coming in and make sure that it is something that they are into and up for. Yeah. I had a situation where one of the players in the group asked us to run some introductory RPGs for a friend of theirs. And it was like, okay, yeah, um, 5e was just out. We all wanted to give it a try. So we're like, yeah, we'll run this introductory adventure with this person. And we did. And I definitely did not like this person and did not want to continue gaming with them. But the member of the group who started this for them, friendship was transitive, meaning all of their friends were friends with all of their friends. Right. They invited him to join our group without talking to anybody. Woof. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> and I had to be the bad guy and go, no, that's not how this works. You know, their response was like, well, I asked this person and he's going to be the GM for the next game. So he has final say. And I'm like, that's not how this works. No. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> right. So I, it, unfortunately, that player took that badly enough that they left the game group after that. But it was still very much a, this is our group. You do not invite people without talking to us first. The whole group. Yes. <laughs> Those people I talked about that moved back to the area, we still sat and had a conversation with everyone in the group to say, hey, We'd like to join, you know, have this person join us again. Is everyone cool with that? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, no problem. But you still need to have that conversation. Yeah. What about other logistics, JT? Sure. So just to rattle off a couple of things, uh, scheduling, like day, time of day, frequency. Like for me, it's 2 p.m. Saturday afternoon every week, unless there's snow or the host is ill or out of town. But Technically, we have his garage code, so we could play there, <laughs> and he, he would probably be cool with it. But you know, because we I've been gaming with Bill for twenty four years now, so uh, you know when you play, where you play, the time, and the between session communication methods, which are very important these days, so that you know the host could say, "Well, I woke up with a migraine this morning. I'm can't. Sorry, guys, I'm canceling the session," and that gets posted on the whatever communication method. In my case, it's Discord. And everybody is aware that Saturday morning, Saturday noon time, you check Discord to make sure we're still on for gaming so you don't show up unexpectedly. And those between session communication methods typically are already established and the, the new person needs to just adopt those because you're making, you know, four, five, six people change how they communicate for one other person. With a social contract, there's give and take. With Sorry for me. If somebody joins up and they're like, I don't like Discord, eh, too bad. That's what we use. You know, you can offer recommendations for how to set things up so that, you know, okay, you can still have the alerts on Discord sent, you know. Sure. Tag you or whatever, just so you know to look there. Oh, I'm super happy to give tech support. Like if somebody says, I don't know what Discord is, I'm like, cool, let's get that, you know, let, let, let's fix you up. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm super happy to play tech support. But if somebody just flat says no, sorry, too bad. That's the communication channel. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's what all of us in the group have, have adopted. So <laughs> I'm, I'm running a new campaign with some folks, and our method of communi communication is a Google chat group 
thing. Okay. And, you know, like every single person has Google email, but not everyone remembers to check the chat. So I have to do the (laughs) at all to make sure everyone actually gets tagged sometimes if I'm trying to get a response from them. I had a weird thing with the two new folks that I most recently like slurped into to reform a group. They were having a weird problem where Discord on their devices specifically, like they were in there, they could see the notifications if they went in, but they weren't coming up on their phones. Oh, so I'd have to text them and be like, can you go text check Discord? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Discord's interesting, a little tech support thing. You can have different settings for the desktop app and the, the, the iPad app and the iPhone app and the Android app. Same account. But each device has their own notification settings. Oh. It's interesting. And I like I like that because I like getting alerts on my desktop, but not my phone. I It seems to be working now. So it was some okay. other weird confluence oh, of weird. events. I, I, oh, weird. Yeah. Bug I, in the system, eh? <laughs> I sat there next to them and like we looked at the notifications and they were all on and checked in the system like it was all on. And like, and now it seems to be working, but it didn't huh. for like three months. So like really oh. weird, right? That is weird. That is yeah. weird. So Senda sort of covered this before, but wh- how do you handle it when you've invited somebody new to your game and it isn't working out? I don't know if I handled it before. I'm going to jump okay, right okay. in here. You, you touched on the, the topic. I touched on the topic. The reason I'm going to say I don't know if I handled it before is because we did not part on good terms and I did not initiate the parting, right? The new player was like, you're all horrible and left. Wow. Not really like that, right? That that was that, that's a very very generalized summary. They they didn't get along with one specific person. It was one of those uh, intentions and versus impact and, you know, there was some miscommunication and then a failure of safety for that particular new person mm-hmm. in terms of them being able to tell us that in a way that we could have taken care of the problem before it became an issue that they felt like they had to be like this person is terrible and I'm not playing with you anymore. If you keep playing with them and like blow everything up and leave. Cause unfortunately when you've been playing with a group for that long and someone who's been playing with you for two months is like, if you don't drop your really good friend that you've been playing with for forever, because I don't like them, I'm not playing anymore. It's a lot more likely yes, that that yes. new person yeah. is leaving. Right. Like that's, <laughs> and that's kind of what happened. And I like, I don't love it. I didn't love the situation. Um, but not related to gaming, but I've been in those situations where someone is forcing me to choose. And I'm like, if you're forcing me to choose, I've been friends Uh with that person for 20 years. You're not necessarily going to like my choice. Um, you're not going to win here. So, you know, so, so don't do it that way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but like, I think with a, a lot of times with gaming and we talk about this a lot on pandas too, right? So much of it is about being adult, about communicating. And it's pretty funny because there are so many parts of our lives that we just need to be really good at communicating to solve problems. But like, they don't really teach you that in school. They don't really teach you that in college. Like, you're just (laughs) supposed to, like, by osmosis, learn up really just, you know, slurp in really good communication techniques for all of these events. The reality of it is nobody actually truly teaches you how to do this unless you specifically sit down and decide to focus on it. You probably don't have the skills when you just spring out of college or whatever, right? So a lot of us are learning by failing, myself included. Yes. 
and then you learn what not to do for next time. I, I have to confess that I have never handled this well myself. I'm not super good at it. One of the times <laughs> I remember we, we, we were like, we don't really want to game with this person anymore. We'd started a new campaign and just stopped including him on the emails. And he was the type of guy that wouldn't <laughs> think to reach out and ask, hey, weren't we supposed to game this week? So we just kind of let it fade into the distance. I will admit I definitely also have said, oh, we're not going to play this campaign anymore. And then started up the rest of the campaign on a different schedule with yeah. not that person. That's not ideal. <laughs> not ideal. I will say, though, that in my teens group that I was running, they handled this far better than I have ever handled it because they ended up having a fight with one of the members of the group where it was all this drama, way too much to get into here, but they had a falling out with one of the members of the group, and they basically, one of them took point and told her, okay, we're done, we wish you the best, we're going to start a new game chat that you're not in because you obviously don't want to associate with us, you don't want to play in the game, we're going to start a new chat. And all I knew is I was getting these messages from these kids going, okay, Ange, don't respond in that chat group. We're now in this chat group. And, you know, if you want the story, we'll tell you later. And I'm like, what happened? What happened? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm the point person. Usually when it comes to interpersonal conflict, I don't like it. I don't enjoy it, but I'm not afraid of it either. Mm -hmm. I, I will be the person to step up and go, hey, sorry. It's not working out. Here's the reasons why. No, you've crossed the line. I tend to call it out pretty quick so that they can correct their behavior. If it's poor behavior or unsafe behavior, eh, unsafe behavior, maybe I'll give you one, one bite at the apple on that one, depending on the severity of the safety violation and the intent. If they accidentally violate safety and we call them on it, okay, that's your bite at the apple. But if you intentionally violate safety in a knowing way, yeah, you're done. You're out. Yeah. I'll even do it mid-session. I've done it mid-session. Yeah, I've bumped people from groups for predatory behavior towards children. I've bumped people from groups because they parked on my lawn and trashed my, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, sprinkler system, like crushed the pipes with their big truck parking on my lawn. Why they did that in the first place, I don't know. It's a strange thing to assume that you should do at someone else's house without them telling you specifically that it's okay. Yeah, and they wouldn't uh, come back to fix the irrigation system in there. They were in the military, one of the local military bases. So I tracked down their commanding officer and gave him a phone call. <laughs> the entire squad was out the next Saturday uh, when they were supposed to be on leave, fixing my lawn and fixing my irrigation system by hand. I, got, I basically got a brand new irrigation system in the front yard out of these guys uh, <laughs> on their dime. <laughs> you have to know where your lines are. And as we discussed, you got to try and be mature about it. Sure. I think the key is, and again, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> the key is being gentle, firm, and clear, right? You don't oh, yeah. need to get personal about it like if you say to someone you're a terrible person and we don't want to game with you anymore that's a lot more personal <laughs> than saying this isn't working out because you are not respecting the boundaries of other people right so there's ways to communicate the issue without escalating conflict and then you know maintaining firm boundaries and then resolving the situation and something that may help as part of the prep work is during the invite portion again one-on-one -on -one with the, the new player is let them know that you know their invite to the group is 
dependent on getting along with everybody socially, uh, you know, adhering to the social contract, following safety rules and all that. I would avoid phrases like probationary period or trial period or testing or because that puts them on eggshells and you don't want that, right? You, you want the authentic, genuine person, but let them know, hey, this is, you know, so long as the, the group remains cohesive and fun while you're part of it, you're part of it. So let's move on to the fun part of this. And let's talk about handling the narrative aspects of adding a new character into an existing game. How do you best handle this? You've already got some established characters and now you're adding a new player, a new character. How do you do this, JT? So there's a great movie uh, called The Gamers. And I think there was a sequel as well, but it, it was something somebody in my gaming group got the DVD for. And one of the characters died, and then the rest of the party like walks around the corner of the bad guy's castle, and there's a new character standing there. It's the same actor. He's just dressed instead of a fighter. He's dressed like a wizard or something like that, right? It's purely just a costume change. Just literally changed the name on the character sheet because he still has something the same like skills that, yeah. too, right? He, he, like, yeah, he right. Maybe he changed his cloak stuff. or something. Right. His cloak went from like green to gray or something yeah. like that, right? <laughs> So the entire party walks around the corner and one of them says, well, you look like a trustworthy fellow. <laughs> Travel with us. And, yeah. and that's the joke. That's the joke way of incorporating a new character, right? We, you, you know it's the other player's character. You just slot them in and keep going. That is not the best storytelling approach. No. That is, that is the, the tongue-in-cheek beer and pretzels approach. It's the overblown example of players just leaning into the meta-knowledge that this player's character is probably somebody we need to pull along with us. You know, right. these players are, generally speaking, we all have our horror stories of players <laughs> who know what they're supposed to be doing or know what the plot is or know what, you know, is in front of them and go against it just to be obstinate. Yeah. But most of the time, players are going to go along, this is what the plot is, we're going to go this direction. Oh, this player is bringing this character in, all of a sudden we're going to start interacting with them, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense. Players are very good about that. So you really just need a little bit of of creative glue to get that new character into the game without too much of a problem. What are some of the things you've done, Senda? I have one just absolutely shining example. I played a campaign of Tales from the Loop, and then we, we took a, a middle break, and then we went as... We... we, we theoretically probably should have waited for things from the flood to come out, but we were a little bit too excited. So we just played <laughs> Tales from the Loop again, but like we, we fast forwarded time 10 years. So we were like in college during that time, because there was like a, a six month or a year gap between those two places. We had added a new person to our group and he'd been playing some other games with us and stuff. We'd actually, we'd shed a person, we'd shed two people and we'd added a new person. We needed, it was okay to kind of just let the, the non- the people who weren't players anymore just kind of fade to the background. Um, but we had to bring this new character in. And there was so much lore to the story that we had told. I, To be fair, Phil tells me every time I bring up this game that I didn't actually play Tales from the Loop. And I can't promise you that I did. But we had a <laughs> lot of fun playing something that looked kind of like Tales from the Loop, right? Um, and it was a very intense story. And there was a lot of stuff that went on. And like, my mom was a robot and my dad turned out to be the bad guy and there were dinosaurs coming out of the ground. So like there was a lot of lore. I'm going to politely disagree with Phil. 
you totally played Tales from the Loop, even yes. if you didn't follow the formula in the book. There you go. We didn't follow the formula of like the individual mysteries. Like we started with a mystery and then it just like ramped from there. Um, anyway, so we picked up this campaign and did a part two. And I'm in college and I had a love interest from high school who at the end of that first campaign, the ending that he had chosen for his character was that he just disappeared and none of us knew what happened in character out of character we actually knew that he'd gone to work for the government as a secret agent basically <laughs> because he was like i can protect them all if i go like give up my life and rights and whatever so he he was off being a secret agent sort of in this weird creepy tales from the loop way right so i go off to college and i find a guy that i'm in love with and it's the new player so what we did is we set him up as my fiance. He had no idea what had happened in the previous campaign other than snatches he'd heard from us because it was a very influential game. But we brought him in as a character who didn't need to know all of that. That character wasn't there. That works. But he also had a really, really strong reason to be part of this campaign. We started the new campaign on the day of our wedding. Like, <laughs> we were getting married. Obviously, that didn't actually happen because aliens happened instead. But... <laughs> But that's where we started the campaign. So like he had like such a strong reason to be invested, even without knowing any of the previous stuff, because he was very strongly connected to my character. And then, of course, my high school love interest suddenly showed back up again. And then he had a very strong reason to be there because there was also lots of weird tension happening there, too. <laughs> ah, that was the most delightful love triangle I've ever played. <laughs> um, the tip from that to distill all of that into actual like actionable information is when you can strongly connect the new character to one of the other characters or i'm just going to smash these two bullet points that we have up here together or when you can connect them strongly to um a goal that one of the other characters already has then you give them a really strong reason to both travel with the group be part of the group interact with the group and care about the same stuff the group cares about yep Sometimes it's really useful also to be able to bring someone in like that. And like he had a super valid reason that his character and he didn't know any of the rest of what had happened before. Right. And so we got to explain a lot of it to him along the way as things happen. We're like introducing him to aliens and stuff. And he's like, what is happening? I thought that you were exaggerating. If you have NPCs in the game that spark the interest of a new player. You know, you can very easily weave them into the game pretty quickly that way. We added um, my friend who uh, graduated college and got a job locally, and we added her into the game group. We had this long-running 5th edition D&D &D campaign, and we wanted her to join us. And so she and the GM talked a little bit, and she's like, yeah, I think I, think I want to play a barbarian. And, I, and he's like, well, I've got this NPC who's a bodyguard it would be very easy to stat her as a barbarian and i've got this lore that you know works with that character's background is this of interest to you and she was like yeah i like that and she's just like slid smoothly into the campaign with you know a great connection to the world you know she knew that she had seen our characters and we had been kind to some people she cared about which meant she was more inclined to you know, work with us. And it's just been seamless ever since. I think there's definitely things you can do to integrate 
characters into the game without it just being, hey, you look like a trustworthy fellow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine was a wedding ring. <laughs> a very effective. There you go. Yeah, yeah. You can also give a reason for the existing PCs to trust the new one by introducing them as an ally, like a faction. Like, you know, if the party is working for or with a particular faction, you can clearly call out that this new character is already in that faction. They're, they're, so th there's a level of trust mm -hmm. that can be applied there by default. Um, it, I would put a, a caveat on that. I would not make the new player, sorry, I would, I would not make the new character a senior member of the faction above rank over the existing players unless it's a replacement character for an existing player if it's a new player you don't want the junior member at the party being the senior character in the party right so there's a dichotomy there that you unless that player you know that player well you know they can swing that and handle that so let's quickly pivot to the differences between adding a new player with a new character or having an existing player want to swap characters. JT, how would you, you know, you mentioned, you know, having, you know, the replacement character, but what, what are some other things you'd keep in mind with that? In my opinion, it's a lot easier to swap characters out as opposed to bringing in a new player because the player, new player, as we've already discussed, changes the social dynamic at the table, which in my opinion is more important than the characters in the storytelling because you can always play new characters, but, Burning a player or a group, mm -hmm. oof, that, that hurts. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> As we have discussed. Yes. Swapping out characters, assuming the old character is still alive and can somehow impact the storyline, you need to somehow fade the old character into the background and bring and fade the, the new character into the foreground. I don't like the term swap because that's like a hard cut in storyline. The, the the old Dallas the evening soap opera where I think it was Bobby Ewing they the they they killed off the character but he was turns out he was one of the more popular characters it turned out to be like a contract negotiation thing between the actor and the producers and all that so they just killed his character and for like two seasons he was dead and then all of a sudden <laughs> it was just a dream and Bobby Ewing steps out of this steamy shower because it was one of those kind of kinds of shows you know it didn't like show any naughty bits or anything but. And, and all of a sudden, Bobby's back, and the last two years were, quote-unquote, just a dream that Bobby had of being dead. And that's how they hand waved the whole thing. Of course, it's a soap opera, so they can get away with it, but now the popular character's back. That's why I don't like the word swap or hard cut, because that disrupts the story. Oh. It, 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 it's kind of jarring. But if you can fade one character out and fade in another one, that works better, and that takes some finesse from the Game Master's storytelling chops, as well as the player's buying into it, you know, going along with it. Of course, it also depends on why they're changing characters. If their old there character is, is dead, there's a very hard cut there. Oh, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. That's also internal logic for the game setting, right? True. Like, it resolves the issue of, like, where is this character? What are they doing? Yeah. I was just going to say, unless you're playing Passion de la Passiones, and then steamy shower scene, it was all just a dream, <laughs> like, I'm completely on board. <laughs> Yeah, totally on board for that. <laughs> that could work for that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess uh, be genre aware also of how you manage that. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. there are definitely um, ways that will work better for some genres and not other genres. Or if you think about like just mm -hmm. your straight up fantasy, 
then yeah, sometimes a weird hard cut like that is probably not going to make a lot of sense. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. Any last things to say about bringing the new into the existing? Yeah, I have a whole bit that I completely forgot about, but probably you should just go look up. There's there's a thing about how groups work. Storming, norming, and then the thing that comes after that that I've forgotten. You should probably just look those up because it's like the three stages of group formation. And it happens at work to me in group formation. It absolutely also happens with gaming groups, right? And it's just the way that we come together as people. The reason it's interesting to look up is because when you actually look it up and you're kind of aware of what's happening, there are things you can do to smooth over each of those phases um, to kind of get everything or to move through the storming and norming phases a little bit more quickly because you can do it intentionally instead of like just like letting it happen on whatever timeline it happens. I mean, it's still going to, you know, do whatever it does. But when you address some of that stuff with intention, instead of just letting it kind of happen, which is the social contract and that kind of stuff, you can move through storming faster, which is what we really want. Norming is great. Yes. And then the thing that comes after, what is that called? Performing. Thank you. Performing. Performing. I looked it up. I had to look Thank it up. You. I can't take credit. I had to look <laughs> it up. Like, and then the third thing, <laughs> the thing where you're trying to get that one. Yep. Anyway, so just a, a quick aside, basically, like if you want to look up some cool stuff about the psychology of groups and how we make them, that probably would um, help a lot in terms of adding new players specifically. That's what I would look up. That's a very good thing to add. JT, any last thoughts from you? No, I like that as a last thought. That, that, that's, that, yeah. that's a really great tip. I like that. I'm going to move us into the outro. This show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You two can Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. We love doing this, so our patrons help us keep it going. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Yeah, so every Wednesday you can hear me and Phil doing basically car talk, except it's for your games instead of for cars. Like if your game or your campaign is making a funny sound... Um, you know, just call it in and we will help you out with how to maybe think about fixing it. Um, if the mechanic down the street is not helping you with your TTRPGs, we will. What's the name of the show, Senda? Oh, yeah, it's called Panda's Talking <laughs> Games. I was like, why is she looking at me? I said a lot of cool things about my show. It's called Panda's Talking Games. Yes. And uh, and you can check it out wherever you get your podcasts. You can find all of us at gnomestew.com, gnomestew on Blue Sky, and gnomestew on Facebook. Gnomes, is there anything else you want to give a shout out to you? All right. I'm going to shout out Mithulu cards. I'm going to say that one more time because it's kind of a tongue twister. Mithulu. So like mythology and Cthulhu, but it has nothing to do with either one. Honestly, <laughs> it's just a, sm it's a smush up of the words. What they are, however, is a wide variety of cards covering different aspects of characters settings, story arcs, and everything that goes into writing a story, or maybe even prepping a game session. Uh, they're great tools for creating PCs, NPCs, bad guys, backgrounds, plot hooks, yada, 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 yada. Um, I've, been, I've been using them for, gosh, years, uh, four years, five years now, something like that. Uh, they're great for fleshing out characters and settings. It gives you ideas you maybe not had thought of before. Um, there's currently two sets and I've heard from Laura Crenshaw, who is the creator and a good friend of mine. She's about to launch a Kickstarter for the third set. Ooh. Unfortunately, I don't have a link to put in the show notes because that campaign's not live at the moment. I'm sure I will bring this up again once that Kickstarter is live. Very cool. Senda, what about you? 
Okay, I have two things. The first one will be really quick because I, I don't know if this Kickstarter will still be live for anyone to back it. But if you are into magical girls and animated shows, I would highly recommend that you check out Wheels and Roses. I'm really hoping that that will kick. I don't know if it will. It may be done by the time you hear this. Moving right along. I don't know about all of you, but I backed a game called um, Xeno Language years and years and years ago, right? And the cool thing about this game is that it is a TTRPG in a box um, with basically kind of like a Ouija board inside of it. And it's a game about alien language and human memory. And you use the Ouija board to basically, um, as a group, decide how to interpret the strange symbols that the aliens are sending to you and then have your flashbacks and memories that have to do with your actual life outside of being a scientist trying to figure out this alien language. The reason I'm mentioning it is because the Kickstarter has just sent me my copy. It's on the shelf. And if you have not played this game, which is a really cool game, although admittedly, I played it so many versions ago at a Metatopia, it is now up for pre-order. Um, and I just think it's super cool. I don't think that anyone else has done anything quite like this. And it's beautiful. So if you want to go check it out, Xeno Language, it's from Thorny Games. They do amazing things about games with languages. This one is no exception. Awesome. Uh, and from me... If you like sci-fi games, there are two Kickstarters coming up, one from Free League for a new version of Coriolis. Um, it is a, they're calling it a spiritual successor to the first game. Also, Savage Worlds is going to be kickstarting their science fiction companion. Neither of these companies are paying me. I just love my sci-fi games. <laughs> so, But they should be. Yeah, they, they should, should be. be. I mean, they could just send you free copies of the books. I mean, Coriolis, That's I mean, really Free League probably will anyway. They usually do because Jared does all our reviews, but <laughs> those are coming up and I'm very excited about them. So I wanted to share. So do you think we've avoided the stew? Should we find a new person to throw in instead? Oh, that's a really good idea. No, that's that's rude to the new person, though. You, you got to give them a chance. I'm a little confused. Is this the pot that has the trapdoor or the pot that doesn't have the trapdoor? I door thought now? I welded the trapdoor shut. <laughs> oh. Like, I don't know where we are in this storyline. <laughs> <now. laughs> 